Let's pray. Oh, God, we are glad to be alive. We are glad to be here. We are glad to know that it is Your house and this is Your presence. We linger just a little longer. If you have a word for us, now would be the time to send it through. Clean out the distractions and the clutter. Get through to our hearts. Somebody's going to get called to do the impossible through you. And we want to know, are you thinking about me? Are you thinking about him, about her? Speak, Lord. Your servant heareth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Speaking of joy and attitude, a joyful attitude, somebody wrote this. It says, author unknown, probably by that famous author, Anonymous. This is just ten lines long, but let me share it with you. There once was a woman who woke up one morning, looked in the mirror, and noticed that she had only three hairs on her head. It can happen. Well, she said, I think I'll braid my hair today. So she did, and she had a wonderful day. The next day she woke up and looked in the mirror and saw that she had only two hairs on her head. Mm, she said, I think I'll part my hair down the middle today. And she did and had a grand day. The next day she woke up and looked in the mirror and noticed that she had only one hair on her head. Well, she said, today I think I'll wear my hair in a ponytail. And she did, and she had a fun, fun day. The next day, the next day she woke up and looked in the mirror and noticed that there wasn't a single hair on her head. Yippee, she exclaimed. I don't have to fix my hair today. <laughs> it's a deal, that's a deal with attitude, attitude, attitude. Attitude of joy. Yes can do. That's what we're calling it around here, the yes can do attitude. I love the way that popular writer Ch uh, Chuck Swindoll put it. We open this little three-parter that ends right now. We open it with, with Swindoll's words. Put it on the screen for you again. Take a look at this. Isn't this something that just kind of pumps you up? This may shock you, the, uh, Swindoll writes, but I believe the single most significant decision I can make on a day-to-day -day basis is my choice of attitude. It is more important than my past, my education, my successes or failures, what other other people think of me or say about me, my circumstances or my position. Attitude is that single string that keeps me going or cripples my progress. It alone fuels my fire or assaults my hope. When my attitudes are right, there's no barrier too high, no valley too deep, no dream too extreme, no challenge too great for me." End quote. Attitude. Living with a tood. That's the kind of tood I'd like to have. Yes can do. Well, we've been reflecting on together. Yes can do, how to live with an attitude. Yes can do, how to pray with an attitude. And today, yes can do, how to dare with an attitude. Some of you are going to go out of this place and you are going to be confronted with an impossibility that anybody else, without your conviction and attitude, would turn back and say, I quit. It's over. I'm not going ahead. But because of what God is going to say to you in His Word today, you're going to realize, I can go over that. Yes can do. I was amazed how many verses in the Bible really have can-do in it. <laughs> I started a collection of them. We, we opened up with a famous Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ. Let's read these out loud. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Here was the second one, Deuteronomy, Moses praying to God, what God can do, what you can do. And now today, oh, you're going to love this one, Job. 
We're talking about Job who went through hell in his book. We're talking about the same Job, chapter 42, the last words in the book of Job from the lips of Job. Can you believe this? Go back to the book before the Psalms, and it's Job, and find the last page of Job. That would be Job 42. Take a look at this. I'm in the New International Version. Whatever translation you have or what you got on your phones, fine by me. Didn't bring, a, didn't bring any of that. Grab the pew Bible in front of you. Job, chapter 42, verse 1. And verse 1 simply reads, then Job replied to the Lord. Well, we got to get on to verse 2. Here it is. I know that you what? You can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. I've been, I've been to hell and back. And one thing I know... And that is, oh God, you can do all things. <laughs> you can do. And that's exactly, by the way, that's exactly what Jonathan believed. And because he did, you are about to experience one of the most stunning attitude adjustment stories in all of sacred literature. You may have never heard this story before, but it's in the Bible. But before we go to the story, I want you to Focus your eyes on a picture. We'll put it on the screen for you. Take a look at this picture. Can you believe that? Take a look at that. That, my friends, is the wadi. That's Arabic for valley or ravine. That's the wadi Suwainit, the deep gorge that ran beneath the, the ancient Philistine garrison at a place called Michmash. That's it, the ravine between two cliffs. Now, keep looking at this picture, because on either side of the picture, you'll see cliffs. On the north side of the picture, that would be the left side of the picture. You'll see a cliff that they called Bozes. And on the right side of the picture, that would be the south side, you'll see a cliff called Senneh. Take a good look at it, because right here, 3,400 years ago, a young prince and his armor-bearer changed the course of history. Come on, let's look. First, First Samuel chapter 14. Find it in your Old Testament. First Samuel chapter 14. Unbelievable story. First Samuel 14. We'll begin in verse 1. One day Jonathan, oh, that's the young prince. One day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor-bearer, come, let's go. Let's go over to the Philistine, out, Philistine outpost on the other side. But shh, he did not tell his father. You know why? Because his father is moody, mercurial, newly crowned King Saul, who is so insecure in his administration that he's required this ragtag army to hang around in his sight. He's got him under his thumb, and nobody leaves without my permission. Shh, we won't tell my dad. Verse 2, Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men, among whom was Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod. That's the clothing of a high priest. He was the son of Ichabod's brother, Ahitub, son of Phinehas, son of the famous high priest, Eli. Everybody knows Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. Now, verse 4, on each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cut across to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. We just saw that picture. One was called Bozes, and the other was Seneh. One cliff stood to the north. Michmash, the other to the south, toward Geba, where Saul is camped. Put it on the screen again. Take a look. So now you can picture this. The boys are on the right side of the picture, all right? That's the south side. At this moment, they're behind a, they're behind a boulder. They have no binoculars, no little telescope. They have to shield their eyes. They're looking around the rock. And Jonathan is saying, hey, see, look, 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 that's it. Other side, north. We'll have to go up the north face, but up atop you see the garrison. There, the soldiers. Shh, there they are. As they survey the sea, you can see the two of them scanning the north face 
Where would we go? Then Jonathan speaks. Verse 6, Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. That's, that's code language for pagan. Let's go to those pagans. We're going to go to that fortress. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Oh, this is something else. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Hey, listen, ladies and gentlemen, don't you just love that kind of an attitude? Yes, can do. I mean, here he is. Bro, I think we can do it. We'll go down this cliff, and then we'll cross the ravine, and we'll, we'll, we'll call them. We'll get their attention, and then we'll go up. We'll climb up the north face all the way to the top. Can God, listen, listen, the way I got it figured, there are only two of us, 600 back with my dad. But listen, what does it matter? Two, 600. It doesn't matter how many God needs. He can do by two, he can do by many. He can save Israel. And then notice verse 7, the armor bearer responds. You put yourself in the armor bearer's place and you've just heard this proposal. The armor bearer says in verse 7, yo, prince, do all you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead. I am with you. Heart and soul. You know why their man is responding that way? I'll tell you why. Because people love hanging around a, a leader with a yes-can-do attitude. People love to follow somebody who says, yes, can do. We can do it. If the leader's wimping around, if the leader's whining around, the circumstances are poor for us, we're just, we're just not going to make it. I'm so sad that the story has turned out this way. Nobody wants to hang around with a leader like that. You want to hang around with somebody, you hang around with a man or a woman that believes we can do this. In the power of God, we can do this. Let's not turn back. Let's keep going forward. We'll go up that, we'll go up that rock. Yes, sir. I'm with you all the way. Patriarchs and prophets, by the way, tells us that when they're hiding behind that boulder before they go down, the boys bow down on their faces before the God of Israel. I put patriarchs and prophets on the screen for you. With earnest prayer to the capital G, guide of their fathers, these two young men agreed upon a sign by which they might determine how to proceed. Now, I got to tell you something. This sign is ingenious. It is a gutsy sort of sign. You're going to have to admit this. And Jonathan now says, I'm thinking we ought to do this. Are you serious? Look at big, go down to verse 8. So Jonathan, Jonathan, after they pray, says, okay, look, look, look. Come on then. Here's what we do. We'll cross over toward them and let them see us. So that's, that's that whistle. We'll call them. They'll have to see us. Now look. If they say to us, verse 9, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come on up to us, boys, and we'll teach you a thing or two, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. Uh, you hit the pause button right there. I want you to catch something that you don't catch the first time you go through this, and that is that Jonathan, you know what he's not saying? Jonathan is not embedding a coward's retreat into any strategy that they're, that they're imagining. Jonathan is not saying, if they say, yo, boys, come on up here. Jonathan is saying, look, no matter what they say, we're holding this ground. Do you notice that, ladies and gentlemen? There is no escape. If they say, yo, boys, we're coming down. That doesn't mean, look, get out of here. No, we're holding this ground. No matter which way they respond, we will, Jonathan is convinced he will engage the battle. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? No way out. We fight to the death. 
Sure you want to follow a leader like that? <laughs> I love that picture, by the way. You know why I love it? Because it's a picture of the church. That's why. There's a line Jesus speaks, and we've totally gotten the line wrong, and you'll see what we've done with it. Do you remember when Jesus turned to Peter and he turned to his disciples and said, I want to tell you something. Let's put it on the screen here. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. I, Jesus says, I will build my church. All right? I'm the church builder. You're not the church builder. You're not the church builder. I will build my church. And now notice this. Jot this down in your study guide, please. And the gates of Hades, write in the word gates because that's a key. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, Jesus could absolutely be no clear. Do you know why? Because the gates never go to battle. Gates never go to war, do they? No, it's armies who go to war. The only time gates ever appear in a story of a battle is when, the, is, is when the enemy has retreated to behind its gates and the chasing army is at the gates, pounding on the gates to get the enemy. That's what Jesus is describing here. This is not a defensive posture. This is an offensive stance. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The church battering against the gates of, of hell, the, uh, against the gates of the kingdom of, kingdom of Satan, battering against those gates, battering them open so that they can rescue those being held in that fortress. That's the picture of the church. This is not a coward's picture. This is not the hell coming to us and just beating us back. We have nowhere to go now. It's the exact opposite. Amazing. Just like Jonathan. We're going to engage. I don't care what they say. I don't care what their response is. We engage them. And that's what Jesus is saying to you and me. Don't you worry about how the enemy responds. Don't you worry about the enemy's counter moves. Engage him. You engage him for me. And guess who will be with us? Always. Even to the end of the age. Yeah. Once upon a time, Ellen White was shown a picture of the end game battle. You got to see this. I'll put it on the screen. It's in your study guide. You need to fill it out. So she's looking on, and here's what she sees the battle raged. Victory alternated from side to side. One time, oh, there went it. Oh, no, there went it. Now, she says, the soldiers of the cross give way. It looks like they're being beaten back. And then she quotes Isaiah 10, 18. As when a standard bearer fainteth, he drops the flag. But, hold on, hold on, hold on. Their apparent retreat was but to gain a more advantageous position. Sometimes you are driven back. But do you understand this? God cannot lose. Do you understand? It is humanly, divinely impossible for God to lose. He can't lose. He always wins. It sometimes looks like we're in retreat, but he said, no, 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 no. you watch where you're going. You're coming around a corner here. You'll be perfectly positioned now. He doesn't lose. Keep reading. When they realized that, shouts of joy were heard. A song of praise to God went up, and the angel voices, oh, we have help. The angel, like your voices, the angel voices join, unite in the song. As Christ's soldiers planted his banner on the walls of, the, of fortresses. Now, jot this down. This is unbelievable. On the walls of fortresses till then. Jot in those two words. Until then, these have been fortresses held by the enemy. Do you know what till then means? The fortress fell. Somebody went up against the gates, and that fortress came down. And in a few days, I'm getting on a big jet plane, and I'm going to cross the Pacific, and I'll be in Japan two weeks from right now. 
Why are you going to Japan, Dwight? Why do we have the day of fasting and prayer a few, few weeks ago? Why? Because there is a massive fortress called, the, fortress called the Land of the Rising Sun. And the iron grip of the enemy has held for centuries the Japanese people. And he says, I'm not letting go. I'm not letting go. But Jesus says, sorry, even the gates of hell will not be able to keep my people out. Do you understand that? Sorry. It's over. Satan. I need you praying. That's the deal. I just need you praying. <laughs> I don't, please don't wait to, for two weeks from today. Please start praying immediately because the day will come. With all my heart, I believe this. Yes, can do. The day will come when the banner of the Lord Jesus will be planted on the walls of the land of the rising sun. In fact, I'm going to share a promise with you. You want something to pray? I'm certain this. I'm sorry I didn't get into the study guide. I didn't get into my notes until last night, but I want you to see this. Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 16, mercy. Did you know that this was in your Bible? Jeremiah chapter 16, I'm just going to read it to you because we didn't even have time to put it on the screen. Jeremiah chapter 16, verse 19. Jeremiah is praying to God, okay? This is dynamite now. This is dynamite stuff. Jeremiah is praying to God in, in verse 19 of, of Jeremiah 16. O oh Lord, my strength in my fortress, my refuge in time of distress to you. Hey, God, to you, I know, to you, the, the, end, the nations will come from the ends of the earth. They're going to come to you one day. Now, I want you to get what Jeremiah is prophesying the nations are going to say. Watch this. Keep, keep reading. To you, the nations will come from the ends of the earth, and they will say, now listen, our ancestors. Hit the pause button right there, because Japan is huge on ancestors. Ancestor worship is, is what, has been, what has held this, this island nation in that iron grip. But they're going to say one day, our ancestors possess nothing but false gods. It dawns on them. I can't believe this. All these gods, all these centuries, our ancestors possessed nothing but false gods, worthless idols that did them no good. Do people make their own gods? Yes, but they are not gods, the people will say. Isn't that amazing? The day is coming when the, when the unfurled, blood-dipped banner of Emmanuel will fly atop the fortress of the land of the rising sun. But you know why? Because they'll let it. They'll say, we've been fooled. What translation says, our ancestors were fools. We've been fooled. These gods are nothing. They're just wood overlaid with gold. That's not a Buddha. That's just wood. There are no living spirits when you die. Now, it's not over. Now, here's where I need you to put your finger when you're claiming this promise for Japan. Verse 21. Therefore, now, God. So the quotation marks change. They stop, and now someone else is speaking. It's God. Therefore, I will teach them, these pagans, this time I will teach them my power and might. Then they will know that my name is the Lord. I'm going to show my might this time. I'm going to flex my muscle this time. I'm going to show my power. I have an Af African uh, prayer partner. We meet every Wednesday night. He's a church administrator, Gilbert Wari, a great man of faith. Anyway, every Wednesday night after House of Prayer, we meet in my study. 
right here at the church. And Gilbert was telling me this last Wednesday night, because we handed out this text at House of Prayer. He was telling me, he said, Dwight, I want to tell you something about pagans. I know you're coming with all these, uh, these messages, evangelistic messages. Let me, let me remind you, because he grew up in a pagan animist uh, culture. Let me remind you that pagans aren't influenced by West, the, the niceties of Western philosophy. They're not, they're not moved by that. They're saying, so, that's the way you think. What reaches a pagan mind and heart are those two words, my power and might. It is the supernatural that engages the attention of the pagan culture. The supernatural. Because now, as the priests, as the, as the priests and magicians in Egypt said, ooh, 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 this, this, this is the finger of God. This, this is not anything usual. God says, stand back. When I show my might and my power, then the nations will come to me. Isn't that amazing? Unbelievable. Hey, would you jot that down in, your, in the corner of your study guide just so that you, you hang on to that? Just, just put your finger there and, and uh, claim it. Let's go back to that battle scene. Ellen White's looking on, on the screen. The battle raged. The song of praise to God went up, and the angel voices united in the song as Christ's soldiers planted his banner on the, on the walls of fortresses till then held by the enemy. Now, here comes the new sentence. The captain of our salvation was ordering the battle and sending support to his soldiers. Anytime you take a moral stand, you get support from the eternal headquarters. Anytime you take a moral stand... Talk about that in a second. And he was sending support to his soldiers. Last line, his power, there it is, Jeremiah 16, 21, his power was mightily displayed, encouraging them to press the battle to, write it down please, to the gates. This is that gates. This is offensive, not defensive. Yes, can do. At the very gates of hell. What did Jesus tell us? I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Ladies and gentlemen, we have no choice. We have to engage the enemy. On the campus of Andrews University, off the campus of Andrews University, there's no way you can get through this life without engaging the enemy. You have to. You have to sign up for this war or they'll sign you up on the wrong side. Yes, can do. We have no choice. Ah, let's finish this little story. Back to verse 11. So, verse 11, so the both of them. So here's these two young men. They're, they're in the middle of this little wadi, and they're looking up. <laughs> they do the signal, and guess what? They're spotted. So the both of them showed themselves to the Philist Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines. The Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. I want to go back to that picture. Do you see holes in that picture or what? There are holes everywhere. That, they said, look, they've been hiding in these little holes. They're finally getting, their little wimpy spirits are getting bold. Look at those two boys down there. So you can get the picture now. The men, this is verse 12. And so the men of the outpost shouted down to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come on up to us and we'll teach you a thing or two, boys. Come on up. We're waiting for you. And Jonathan with this glint of faith and risk-taking conviction. Jonathan turns to his armor bearer and he says to the armor bearer, you go first and I'll be right behind you. <laughs> Can you believe that? Why would he do that? That isn't what it says, does it? What does he say to the armor bearer? Come behind me, boy. We're going now. Get behind me. A leader never says somebody out to the front. The leader leads. The followers follow. If the leader has can-do spirit, yes, can-do. Come climb with me. 
The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel, not into your hand, not into my hand. He's given them into the hand of his people on earth. And so Jonathan, verse 13, climbed up using his hand and feet and his armor bearers right behind him. And the Philistines fell before Jonathan. Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. And in that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about half an acre. Keep reading. Then panic struck the army. That would be the Philistine army. Those in the camp and the field and those in the outposts and the raiding parties and the ground literally shook. It was a panic, a panic set by whom? Set by whom? When you take a stand, all of heaven is on your side. It may feel like you're just me against the world, me against all my friends, me against, me against the university, me against my people. It's never just you if you take a stand all of heaven. And literally the ground is roiling as an earthquake breaks out. And they kill, each, they kill each other off. The Philistines kill each other off. They're just gone. He said, Dwight, this is awfully bloody to be sharing in church. Ladies and gentlemen, we've been playing namby-pamby church for too long. There's a bloody war going on out there. And if we don't determine to engage the enemy, we are meat, mincemeat. Do you understand that? We either fight or we quit. This university either fights or it quits. No cutting a deal. No parlaying with the enemy. He wants total destruction. You cut a deal with me, I'll decimate all of you. We have only one choice. We have to take a stand. We have to take a stand. As a Seventh-day Adventist institution, we have to take a stand. As one little tiny Seventh-day Adventist young man, you have to take a stand. As a young girl, you have to, you, woman, you have to take a stand. You cannot not stand. Wow. But the good news is when you take that stand, I don't care if you live in a little village. I don't care if you're studying in a little tiny village. You'll wake up the next morning and there will be chariots of fire all around the village. Now, how about that? Is that an intervention or what? He'll take care of you. You take the stand, he'll take the charge. You take the stand, he takes charge. Take a stand. All it takes is one boy, one girl, one man, one woman, and the rest is history. Attitude, yes can do, becomes he can do. Let's put it easier. We can't, we can do because he can do. That's it. Erwin Raphael McManus in his soul-stirring book. Oh, I love this book. Title of the book, Seizing Your Divine Moment, issues an important caveat to tuck into this story. So you're going to see McManus on the screen now. Jonathan had an unwavering confidence in God's capacity. Now, hold on. He's talking about you. He had absolute trust in God's character. He seemed resolute and sure about whether God could be trusted or not. That was settled for him. Jonathan's focus was not, what is God's will for my life, but rather, how can I give my life to fulfill God's will? Some of you have been stumbling all over this campus and all through your lives because you're a lot older than the students here, and you still haven't figured out God's will for your life. Get over it. He has a will. Just put yourself in it. You'll be fine. Now, you got you to look at this line. McManus, I know, you see it on the screen, I know this may be a real stretch. This may be a real stretch. But it's always right to do what's right, even if it turns out, what's the word? Wrong. 
<laughs> Just because you can't raise enough money to become a missionary somewhere doesn't mean that it isn't God's will for you, for you to be a missionary. Who said, Macon, whether you raise the money or not, the great determinant, whether you become a missionary or not? No, God says, I need your choice. I'll raise the money. You make the decision. Don't you pansy around here asking, well, it must not be God's will. Forget it. Listen, just because you didn't get accepted into the medical school of your choice does not mean it is not God's will for you to be a physician. You just keep trying. Yes can do. You don't have to have that diploma on your wall. Five months, <laughs> I'm thinking out loud, five months after you started your practice, nobody gives a hoot where you went to school. Can you heal me or not, doctor? That's all I want to know. Just because you didn't get accepted doesn't mean God has said no. Just because you prayed over a decision, oh, 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 hold on. Just because you prayed over a decision, then made the decision you believed was God's will for you, and now all hell is breaking loose, does not mean that God's decision was, that decision you made was not God's will. God's will sometimes is a tough way to go. McManus again on the screen, fill it in. We should not be surprised that a lifelong journey with God might bring us suffering and hardship. If the cross, oh, this is good. If the cross teaches us anything, it teaches us that sometimes God comes through after we've been killed. Oh, gulp. Are you serious? I, can, I could die in this thing? That's what Bonhoeffer meant. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When he calls a girl, come and die, come and die. He's not calling you to come and live. You can live forever later. Die for me now. Die for me now. Yes, can do. I'll stand for you. If I have to stand alone, I will stand for you. Though all men should forsake thee, by thy grace I'll follow thee. That's what it is. I can do because he can do. Oh, by the way, McManus, one more time. Jonathan wasn't choosing to die. No, 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 no. He's got some kind of fatalistic spirit. No. But he was choosing how he would live. Oh, I like that. He left the consequence of his actions in the hands of God. He chose to do what he knew was right. God was doing something in history, and Jonathan gave his life to that. That's what you and I do. God is doing something in history, and we give our lives to it. I have no idea how this is going to turn out in Japan. I don't care how it turns out in Japan. God is giving his life for Japan, and I want to be there when he's fighting. I don't have to give some kind of report to you when I come back. I don't report to you anyway. <laughs> I have to simply be obedient to a God. He said, Dwight, you lived in Japan for 14 years. You speak the language. What are you doing here? Get over there. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, that's all I say. Yes, sir. I know you don't think it's your gift. Doesn't matter. In fact, a few days ago, Oswald Chambers, you got to get this. I read this every day. This is uh, the little classic, my utmost for his highest. Just a few days ago, this sentence on the screen. When it is a question of God's almighty spirit, never say, I can't. Never, never, never say, I can't. Never let the limitation of your natural ability come in. I know you don't think it's your gift. I understand that. I know you're you have convinced yourself that you simply cannot do whatever it is that God is asking you to do. You're too timid. You're too afraid. You're too ungifted. You're too average. The I can't excuses fill the ledgers of heaven. That's all God hears. Moses stands in front of him, and God says, I need you, Moses, to go back to Egypt. I can't. I said, what do you, what do you mean you can't? I can't. I can't speak. What are you doing right now? I can't speak. I stutter. I'm telling you, go to Egypt. I'll be with you. I can't. Why? I'm a shepherd. I can't lead. Who? Did I make you? Did I create your mouth? Is this my mission? 
Say yes to me. Say yes can do to me. I'll do the rest. You go with me. Do you understand me? Read my lips. You're going. And Moses got it. But we, we have these, I can't, I can't, I can't. No wonder Job finally exclaims at the end of his book, oh my, oh my, oh my God, I know that you can do all things. Chambers is right. Look at this. When it is a question of God's almighty spirit, never say I can't, never let the limitations of natural ability come in. It, here it comes now. If we have received the Holy Spirit, God expects the work of the Holy Spirit to be manifested in us. We began this year talking about the Holy Spirit. We now ended talking about the Holy Spirit. Because if you and I have been baptized daily, and we've talked a lot about this, if you and I have been baptized daily by the Holy Spirit, we're asking every day, Holy Spirit, baptize me today. Please pour yourself out on me today. If you and I are baptized daily, I can't is not in the vocabulary. If God says, do it, you do it. Baptized daily is what takes our fear away. Baptized daily is what makes a, a soldier out of a coward. Baptized daily reminds us where all the power is coming from. It's no wonder Ellen White, just like Oswald Chambers, is so adamant. Last quotation before I sit down. On the screen, we need to pray as we have never prayed before. For the baptism of the Holy Spirit. For if there ever was a time we needed this baptism, it is now. There is nothing the Lord has more frequently told us He would bestow upon us and nothing He would be more glorified in bestowing than the Holy Spirit. It is beyond the power of language to express the blessings the Holy Spirit brings to God's people. So why don't we ask Him every day, every day, every day, every day? attitude. Yes, can do. Give me that attitude. We can do because He can do. And with an attitude like that, I tell you what, it doesn't matter whether you live or whether you die because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What do you say to that? Amen.